Hello again, everyone, and welcome to another episode on Let's Talk Battles with Uche. I am your host, Uche. As usual, to everyone who's been supporting me, thank you so much for your incredible support. If you're new to my podcast, please make sure to download, subscribe, share with your friends and family. And if you're new to my YouTube channel, please also make sure to subscribe and hit that bell notification so anytime I upload a video, you'll be the very first to be notified. Thank you very much for your continued support. So for today's episode, I decided to create an open forum discussion to talk about the harsh realities of living on the African continent, directly coming from Africans. This episode is an attempt to address some of the unrealistic Western opinions on what life in Africa is all about. Please stay tuned for the episode. Thank you. Hey, everyone. Thank you guys so much for joining me on my podcast episode today. We're going to be discussing Africa, basically talking about the realities of living in Africa. Oftentimes, a lot of people all around the world have like misconceptions about what the reality of Africa is, or reality of living in Africa, especially as an African. Um, unfortunately, this is being per- perpetuated by Western media, specifically Hollywood, you know, where um, Hollywood either portrays the worst of the worst of Africa or the fairy tales, fantasy, superficial ut- utopia, um, all in an effort to capitalize on people's ignorance of the reality in Africa. So today, the point of this, this discussion is basically to try to understand the reality from a very personal perspective. And I really do appreciate all, all four of you guys here um, honoring my discussion today. I really do appreciate it. If you guys can kind of give a quick introduction of yourselves, um, feel free to be anonymous if you feel comfortable, or if you want to use your full name, not a problem. Just kind of give us your name, your background, what country you live in, um, just anything that may be relevant to the discussion. Hello, everybody. My name is Lati Koza, and I'm from South Africa. Um, and yeah, I'm from South Africa, but my mom and dad were actually refugees from Mozambique. Uh, they moved to South Africa during the 80s in order to get a better life. And I'm joining this call all the way from Washington State in the United States of America. I'm attending university at Whitman College, and it is an opportunity that I never dreamed will come into life, but I'm glad to be where I am today, and I'm glad to be here with all of you guys. Thank you. Thank you, Lucky. We appreciate you being here, and welcome back to America. I know you just um, got back to America literally a few days ago, so thank you for taking time off from your jet lag process to join us. Thank you. Okay, thank you so much. Um, hi everyone, my name is Sam Oji. I am from Nigeria, the southeastern part of Nigeria. I'm a biochemist. I currently work with uh, the Nigerian Police Force Medical Services here in Nigeria. It's, uh, it's a great opportunity to be here and I appreciate this honor. Thank you so much. Thank you very much, Sam. Um, thank you for taking your time this weekend to join this discussion. I appreciate it. Yeah, hi guys. Uh, my name is Joe. I am a freelance writer I'm from Nairobi, uh, Kenya, uh, currently living in Mombasa. Yes, that's all. Thank you very much, Joe. So, um, like I said, we just want to, I just wanted to have a discussion about the realities of living in Africa from a very personal perspective, because a lot of times there's so much misconceptions of living in Africa, even unfortunately by Africans in the diaspora, you know, as a Nigerian myself who live in America, oftentimes I hear even Nigerian Americans in America who have very deluded or misconstrued um, mindset or perspective of what Africa or life back in Africa 
is. So I wanted to kind of, you know, get like a firsthand exposure, firsthand experience from somebody who actually lives the realities, everyday realities of living in Africa. And I do want to start by asking, um, can you guys kind of share about your tribes, your heritage, your cultural norms, heritage, um, history, background that you may be proud of, something that makes you happy, something that makes you very fulfilled and very proud of your culture, cultural heritage? Um, so for myself, uh, my my cultural background, it's mostly influenced by Mozambique and uh, South African. So South African expect it, um, the culture from Eswatini, because we live very close to the Eswatini border and the Mozambique border. So I'm living in a culture with a mix of those two. And uh, say one of the most uh, interesting things with that is, um, you know, how um, it's how like the cultures come together because you take some things from what people do in Mozambique and some things that people do in a sorting. For example, um, most of my family members or the people coming from Mozambique, they're more focused in physical labor and farming and stuff like that. But then what you realize is that most of the people coming in from a Sotini, uh, they're most likely to be involved in things like education and stuff like that. So, you know, it's very interesting to live in a culture that combines um, those two. Uh, and I think culturally, um, we, we really care about our nature. You know, my, my dad, he's a traditional healer. And growing up as a kid, I never went to see a doctor or, or went to a clinic because I always had my father there for me and he would help me out if I was sick with anything. So that's something with the culture that I'm, that I'm very proud of. And, uh, you know, you see it amongst other people, you know, you always go to a traditional healer to get advice about life and to, you know, if ever you need some sort of counseling, uh, there are people that are always there to help us out. So. That's a little bit about my culture that I'm very proud of. Thank you. So basically, you're saying that you're proud of a sense of community, sense of brotherhood, um, togetherness of your culture. Is that right? Yes, yes, that is right. Yeah, like I think the thing is with traditional healers, um, you know, they they mostly know history and they know the value of plants. Like if you take my dad to the forest to show that these plants for this and that, and for people who some of them cannot afford to go see a, a doctor, like a Western doctor. My dad is someone who is very useful for the community. Okay, thank you very much for sharing. And um, Sam, you can please share, what are some aspects of your cultural heritage that you may be proud of, um, that you're very proud of to be part of and possibly would like to pass on to your own kids someday? Yes, like I, thank you very much. Like I can introduce myself I'm from the Southeastern part of uh, Nigeria were called the Igbos. Uh, I think one of the most unique things about us is uh, the resilience, the ability to face whatever we see. We're mostly categorized as businessmen. Uh, we believe in a lot of stuff. We believe in uh, the spiritual aspect of uh, our lives. So we're mostly Christians from the southeastern part of Nigeria. We believe in um, creation, which we call in our dialect, okay. we believe in supernatural forces of 
creative. Um, one of the unique parts about us is uh, our ability to raise the young ones. We call it apprenticeship, where you have the the older ones, the master, the master servant relationship, where you have a master create a business, invite a young guy, the young boy from from whichever background he comes, does it, serves him for say two, three, four years, and at the end of the uh, a year of service, he settles him, help him open his own um, his own business. I think that's the one one unique spirit we have. Like well, people who, no matter where we find ourselves, whether in the north or in the south or in the east or in the west. We're very, very business oriented. We're, we're very strong minded people. We are very happy people. Like we it's more like fella saying smiling at your pain. You're laughing, going, you're going through suffering. More like fella song, right? The Nigerian uh, popular artist in those days in the nineties. Yeah, and I think that's the most unique thing about me, the Ebos, like even when you're going through hard times, strong times, like you see yourself still going through it with joy, like with pride and hoping that things will actually get better. I think that's the uniqueness in, uh, in my tribe, where I'm from. And then we have a lot of stuff to believe in. Like we have we have our unique attire. Like we have our, our traditional attire, which distinguishes or we call it Weagu, the one that has the lion face on it. Then we also practice our chief fancy titles. So we have a lot of stuff that distinguishes us from out from other tribes that makes us very unique. And like I said, we're mostly from the southeastern part of uh, Nigeria, with around four or five states, Abia, Inugu, Anambra, and then Imo State. And we'll, like I said, that's what makes us very unique and different from others. Our ability to endure, ability to move, ability to help each other. Thank you very much. I could totally relate. Um, as a Nigerian person, I've always said that one of the unique qualities of Nigerians, and of course, not just Nigerians, but I could speak from a personal perspective, is the fact that a lot of Nigerians are just naturally very resilient. And I know a lot of my resilience came from being Nigerian, having lived in Nigeria, and being raised by Nigerian parents. So yeah, I could totally relate to that. Joe, could you please answer that question? I actually like what both Sam and uh, Lucky said. Because for me, it's a little bit different being um, having been born in Nairobi, which is like the biggest city in Kenya. And, you know, for me, I'm used to the city life. So, um, and <laughs> I think the, the thing about uh, Nairobi, it's a little bit Western. Uh, but I would say one of the things that I um, I'm proud of, of uh, my tribesmen, is that they spearheaded the... Um, uh, fight for independence for Kenya, and so that's one. The, that's one of the most thing that I'm proud. That's what, the one thing that I'm really proud of. And I think just also they're really hardworking and they are resilient. And yeah, they, uh, in one way or another, carry the economy of the country because they have. Uh, I come from a part of Kenya where there's we have the most fertile bit of land and. Um, you know, when it comes to agriculture, we can feed the whole um, country with just a very little small, with a very little piece of land. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, so I, I guess mine, it's as simple as that, uh, mainly because um, I was brought up in Nairobi, which is a city, so I don't really, uh, I don't really, I'm not really too cut in that sense. Yeah. I have very different influences 
uh, when it comes to that. Yeah. Thank you very much. So for this next part of the discussion, I wanted to be an open forum discussion. So basically, I do want to talk about just like a deep sense of pride in Africa. And me personally, when I was, you know, I was born in Nigeria, I moved to America as a minor, lived in my, um, even prior to moving to America, my family has always been associated with America, affiliated with America. My siblings were born in America. Um, my, most of my cousins are American. So I've always had that American culture, American mindset in my family since basically since I was a kid. Um, and a lot of that influenced my mentality. And growing up as a kid, I didn't really have a deep sense of gratitude, deep sense of appreciation, deep sense of pride of being African. It wasn't until I moved to America and started getting older that I started looking back at my heritage, my cultural heritage as an African and started appreciating it more. Um, especially living in America where there's a lot of diversity, but then also there's a lot of niches, you know, a lot of cliques. Um, America's a melting pot, as most people would know. There's so many different pockets. You have Pakistanis, you have um, Indians, you have the Chinese, you have so many different pockets. You know, you also have the Black Americans, um, you have the Caribbean Blacks, you have the whites, and even within the white community, you have, you know, specific white community, like German Americans and Irish Americans, and you have those little cliques. And I started realizing that, you know, the importance of having a sense of family, a sense of community, and also living here in Texas, where there's a lot of Nigerian population, I would often go to um, Nigerian events, and I just see my culture right in front of me, and I started appreciating more deeply about my African heritage. And also, not to sound condescending, um, a lot of the inspiration is also looking at Black Americans, and I understand that a lot of, um, unfortunately, it's not their fault that they, they don't have a sense of cultural heritage because it was robbed from them, but also seeing how a lot of them lack that. I've oftentimes seen or had a lot of Black Americans tell me how jealous they are of the fact that I have a place I could call home or how much they appreciate, or at least they would appreciate having that sense of, you know, heritage, a place they can call home other than America. You know, there's nothing necessarily wrong with living in America, but at the same time, too, most people are aware of the racial disparity um, going on in America. So. If you guys could kind of share, do you feel like a, a deep sense of gratitude, a deep sense of pride about being African? Because this is something that a lot of Africans at home and in diaspora desperately struggle with. And unfortunately, I feel like there's also a lot of disingenuity. Um, a lot of times Africans, especially Africans in diaspora, they will claim to be proud of Africa, you know, because it's all word of mouth. But at the end of the day, when it comes to actuality, um, there's not too much to show that pride, you know, because I feel like it's much easier to say you're proud to be African, especially when you don't live in Africa. And again, I'm not trying to paint Africa in a negative limelight. I just want to get to the root of it to be more um, raw with it. So would you say that there's a deep sense of pride, holistic pride to being African? And if there's no sense of pride at all, feel free to share, not a problem. And please, I want, I want this to be an open discussion. Anybody can chip in at any time. Uh, all right, um, I'll jump on it. Yeah. Um, I, I feel there is some degree of pride. Uh, personally, for me, I think there's, a, there's some degree of pride, um, mainly because of what potential Africa has in itself as, um, as, a, as a region. Like when it comes to like um, how rich Africa is in terms of minerals and all that. So there is that sense of pride and also having somewhere that I know this is my home, this is where I came from and I can trace my ancestors not just by, not just uh, virtually, but physically, I can go to this place and this place and be like, oh yeah, this is where my ancestors are from. 
so i feel that i feel in 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 that uh, in in on itself i know that i feel that i know myself i don't know if that makes sense yeah yes and um so yeah just by virtue of that yeah, there is some sense of pride but um but the other bit of it is i haven't been anywhere outside of i haven't lived anywhere outside of of my country so i wouldn't know i wouldn't know how it is to live in uh, um the us or the uk or any western country so i can't really say that i am like i can't really relate to that so i can only speak of what i know and that's why i cannot say that i'm 100% proud to come from here when i haven't really experienced anywhere else so for mm-hmm. me it's just like um i would say it's half and half i am proud of where i come from because i know i know myself and know my roots but i cannot really truly say 100% that i'm proud to you know come uh, or yeah yeah but i am i i know like i i know i am proud of yeah yeah i think i think that's that's that okay so so you basically there there is some sense of pride because that's your heritage and that this is the only thing you know um but then there's also the other half of it is because there's possibly potential for more and you don't really have much yeah there is potential with. yeah yes 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 okay and anybody else wants to chip in uh, i would like to I'd like to address the point of um well, sometimes like when you have never been outside the continent i think you know once you leave the continent or once you leave your own tribe your own culture your own country and you're in a different place i've found that to be one of those moments where that pride of oh i'm an african or i'm a south african or i'm from this tribe or that tribe that pride becomes way stronger because what you realize is oh there's so much that is great with where i come from and i feel like it's not and you know it depends on the person some people went once they go out they lose sense of that pride and i think you know there's a lot of reasons for why that happens like you know in most western countries now uh, you will meet i don't know should i say more progressive people like some of them are vegetarian some of them are vegan and they would tell you oh you're not supposed to eat meat and stuff like that and you know i think like to me when they say that i understand where they're coming from but i think some of them don't understand how we eat meat in africa like in south africa for example we are not eating meat every day you know because we can't afford to do that but like when you live maybe like in the united states maybe you can afford to like go buy a bag every day or something like that so i think there's some misunderstanding things like that and just the same with like you know hunting our traditional clothes in south africa you know they're made out of you know uh leopard skin and some of them out of lion skins cow skins get concerned with that because they think it is uh mass consumption but it is not you know um so i think I do take a lot of pride you know in in being african and sometimes when you take that pride other people do not do not understand they might criticize because they are not fully aware of the whole picture of what is really going on thank you very much um lucky for pitching in that that um opinion 
But I also do want to ask, is there a difference between adjusting to your new environment and also completely getting rid of your culture because there's some type of shame or some type of stigma attached to it? Because I see I see both happening very commonly. You know, I, I, it makes sense that when you pack up your bags and move to a new place, um, you're just like if I was to move to China tomorrow, I would definitely adjust my way of living. My food would be different, but I also would not lose that cultural heritage, the pride of being a black man from Africa, from Nigeria. So as opposed to somebody who may pack up their bags and move to China and then just completely want to change their name, change everything about them, just so that they can be more favored, you know, would you say that they, would you say there's a distinction between both of them? I'll say yes, there is a distinction. Um, like when you go to a new culture, I think, you know, it is true, you need to adapt and you need to get yourself familiar with, you know, the local customs and stuff. I think, yes, we should do that. But to a certain point, there are things that we, you know, we, we, we shouldn't change. Um, like if you come to a new culture, yes, respect how they do things, but don't let that change any beliefs uh, that you do have about where you're coming from. Um, so I think that's some sort of open-mindedness. Like for example, I grew up in a culture where, you know, the woman is the one who does the whole cooking, the whole cleaning. And, you know, I attended school in Norway and there I met people who did things differently. You know, the man was taking care of the children, was cooking and stuff like that. And that's something that I kind of learned from that culture. I'm like, oh, I can bring this back, you know, to my family and see how it works. So I think it is important to adapt, but to not really lose our values, which you know, I think don't lose your values because you think the values from the other country or from the Western country are way superior than your own. Mm. Thank you. And you, um, Sam, you want to pitch in? Yeah, I can quite understand what he said, what Lucky just said. I, I wanted to ask a question actually. Yeah, so that's the culture here, like I, like I mentioned, we're mostly Christian, practically because we got that from the Western world. And then we get to a place like China, and uh, maybe you're, you're having conversations with someone, and the person is practically, or the community you're saying are mostly, they're not Christian. Is it still normal to not to drop that? Like, like what, we are very religious people here, like practically 80% of what we do here is just pray for problems to get solved. And then you get there, you see this is a system that's working, and then you're like, okay, is it, is it normal to drop the ideology of, um, yeah, this this your kind of kind of your culture? Is it normal to say, okay, I I don't think this whole stuff works with me here. I think I have to adopt and change, adapt and change my thinking and my way of life. Is it not still part of dropping the culture I grew up with? And then before you answer that question, I think. Um, one of the one of the my proudest moments and one of the things I consider whenever I tell someone I'm a Nigerian, I'm an African is I think like I said before, I, I believe we can go through whatever life throws at us. Yeah, like you you practically I don't think most Westerners can go through even though it's it's actually affecting us on the wrong side. Like you see we have issues of bad leadership and then worse because we are easily we didn't end like because we don't care. Because we can always push through, given these four years of bad government governance, we can always push through it, it well. And then, because we're very happy people, then we're always okay. We're normal, we're okay with whatever system we are in. But the our ability to just 
endure. I think that's what makes uh, me very, very proud of where I'm from. Like, like you can always go to your, we're very optimistic, we're very happy. And always, no matter how bad it is, you always see yourself, yes, this is normal. I think that's what makes me uh, very, very proud of being, of coming from um, Africa and Nigeria. So I would want you yeah. to please answer me. Yeah, just, I, I want to get the answer to that question, please. Um, going back to your question, drop in, uh, if, if I'm, correct me if I'm wrong. So you basically talk about if you move to a new country, let's say China, and um, your your culture, your cultural practice from your country, say Nigeria, is no longer serving you well. Uh, is it normal? Is it okay to basically drop it and try to adapt to something that makes more sense, that may not yeah. necessarily conform to the status quo in Nigeria, but does in China? Yeah. And yeah. your example was religion, I'm guessing? Yes, exactly. Um, I think I think honestly, I think it depends on what that religion means to you. Um, and for people who've been listening to my podcast, I kind of made a distinction between religion and spirituality. Um, me personally, I'm a spiritualist. I'm not religious at all. I was born in a religious household. Like you said, Sam, um, I want to say like 100% of Nigerians are religious, you know, almost to a fault. Um, and growing up in Nigeria, it was basically it was, it was basically law. Well, if you weren't going to church or if you weren't, weren't going to, to a mosque in the north, you were basically ostracized. And that was basically the, the order of the day. And it wasn't until I moved to America and expanded my horizon. I met a lot of people who are not religious, a lot of people who are not even spiritual, some people who are both, that I actually started exploring my options. And I realized that me personally, religion was not necessarily the goal for me. Spirituality is. And I chose to go through that route of spirituality without religion. That was just my choice. You know, like I didn't have to drop religion or Christianity in order for me to attain spirituality. Um, some people do both. Some people go to church, they patronize religion, um, Christianity, but they're also not able to reach that spirituality, at least the spirituality that I, I try to attain. So honestly, it depends on you as a person. You know, if it's not working for you, I don't, I don't see why there's a reason why you should keep going back to something that doesn't work for you. And if, it, if it's not working for you, but then society or culture tells you that it should be an integral part of you, part of your existence and part of your identity. This is where I always tell people to challenge it and try to find out as to why, what is the true reason as to why there's so much pressure to maintain a tradition or culture, especially when you know that culture is not serving you, right? And I feel like um, that is a privilege a lot of people like myself who live in the West um, enjoy more so than people back in Nigeria. Because if I was to have the same mentality I have right now back in Nigeria, I would be seen as an outcast. You know, what is wrong with you? What is wrong with you? You're raised Christian and you're not going to church. You know, are you are you a devil worshiper and things like that? But in America, I enjoy more so freedom to pursue who I am, my spirituality, my sense of spirituality than back in Nigeria. And I even still get side eyed here in America, but I still enjoy more so that, that privilege because of where I'm at. So it really depends on you as a person. And you have to be honest with you as to what that culture means to you. And it's not just religion either. I've had a lot of Nigerians who move here from, um, from Nigeria and they drop certain things. Matter of fact, I had a discussion about, um, some you would know this, basically when you try to pay a bright price for, for the wife back in Nigeria. And some Nigerians are not about that life. They drop it because they think it's absurd, you know, and they try to practice more so the Western the Western style, not necessarily because that they don't feel pride in their culture, 
uh, or because they just they don't accept what's going on back in the you know like the culture the, the cultural norm of what's going on back in their country it just more so it doesn't work for them so there's no need for them to keep conforming and going back to something that does not work for them i don't know if that answered your question yes very well it does thank you so much yeah but but can i can i just uh counter um answer what you've just said right yeah yes, okay. i don't i don't think i don't think all um i don't i think there are also good um cultural practices that come out of africa right and so what what worries me the most is that once you've moved to some other land that is not your home your home that you have to adapt to their way of life or their way of living or um just not to be um or just to try and fit in there are things about the african culture that are that are good right so even in religion there are things that i think um i think personally think um individual is a very personal journey so there are things that might work for that person um in terms of religion and they wouldn't want to change that when they go to a different place just because the place that they've gone to is not uh, that's not how the way they do things um I feel like as long as I'm not harming someone in any way and it's not impinging in how I work or how I relate to uh, people, um, then I should be allowed to do the things that I feel like they're like, you know, like I have been doing in, I don't know, back home. Because then I feel like uh, when Africans go from Africa and they, they come from Africa and they go to other places, then they are forced, they are forced to, or they, they feel like they have to um, kind of like change who they are and be something else. And that's just, you know, that, that just takes away from what is, um, what makes us unique in that sense. I totally get your point, um, Joe. I think there's um, there are different factors as to why that is. Sometimes some people really do want to assimilate. And to be fair, it's not just Africans who do this. And I remember when I was high school here in America, I learned about the Irish Americans who were looked down on. You know, even though they were white, they were they were the bottom white race. And when they moved to America, were, there was so much desperation and so much pressure for them to assimilate. And they would have they would give their kids more American names. Um, even some German or German people, you know, from or white people from Europe, they'll come to America and they try to make sure that the kids have more American accents, more American sounding names. I've had people who change their last names or shorten their last names, even though they're white, you know, just to try to assimilate. I don't think necessarily they're trying to get rid of their cultural heritage completely. Um, but from the question that Sam was asking, I think what he was saying, and I, I, I do agree with your um, your understanding of individuality, your mention of individuality. I think it was talking about if that is not serving well, if a particular practice from your culture does not serve you well, it wasn't serving you well back in your home, and now oh, you move yeah. to a totally different country where it's still not serving you well, but now you have the freedom to explore, drop it, or do something totally different. Would that, like, is there anything wrong with that? And from my perspective, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Going back to what you're saying, individuality it depends on what that practice is to you or is not to you and the real reason why you're doing it does that yeah, make sense I think then, yeah yeah then i think for me it will be like if it doesn't work for me here 
I'm not going to do it here as well. I'm not going to wait till I get somewhere else and change that fact. Yeah, if it doesn't work for me here, then it doesn't work for me anywhere I go. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. I don't need to be, I don't need to be out of my country to, <clears throat> yeah. I, 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 do, I do understand that there are laws that might, might hinder me from, you know, doing certain mm-hmm. things. Mm-hmm. But they was they still wouldn't stop me like like yeah i was I was brought up in a very christian family my mm-hmm. both my parents uh are ministers mm-hmm. and like they yeah they they they've gone to uh theology school they do minister in church, but for me that's just not for me, and yeah. I realized that earlier on, and whether it puts me and them in a bad place or not. Mm-hmm. It's just not for me, and I'm not going to wait to, you know, go to America to be like, oh, maybe now I can not do uh, Christianity because it's not for me. I, I think, and there are very, very, there are very few of us like that here. We, we're just like, no, it's not. If it's not working, it's not working, and I'm not going to go somewhere else for me to realize that, oh, I can actually explore these options. And I do, I do understand that maybe I am. I, I I might talk as someone who's pri- privileged in that sense. Mm, I was but, about to mention. And, yeah, and yeah, yeah, but and there are people who don't have that cha- that uh, that option of being like, yeah, yeah what what happens happens, yeah. Yeah. But but I think I, I think for me that's the only way I change things. I don't mm. need to go anywhere else to be like, oh, this is not. I need to start from where I am and be like, and see how many people join 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 me in that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't think I don't think religion is a part of a person's culture. That's just me being honest. But however, mm-hmm. spirituality, at least a general way of practicing spirituality, can be. Um, like we have African spirituality, Asian spirituality, um, Islam, and things like that. I, I I get that part. However, going back to what you're saying, um, there there are laws that can prevent you from doing certain things in your country. You know, things that may not necessarily you have to conform to, so to speak. Um, and if you don't have that privilege associated with doing what you want to do, in spite of who's watching back in your country, or you're just a rebel, it may not necessarily work. And in the case of spirituality and religion, at least the over-practicing of religion in Africa, which I think is problematic, a lot of people don't necessarily have a choice, even though there's no law that I know of that forces you to go to church, go to the mosque in Nigeria or in Africa. Um, you may not necessarily be able to relate to religion the way most people re- relate to it, but there's also that social stigma. And the, the thing with Africa is there's there's a sense of community. Everybody's all up in everybody else's business because, you know, everybody's growing together. You need everybody. As opposed to here in, in the West where there's more so a strong sense of individuality, you can literally be anything you want without somebody else behind your back. So you don't want to lose that support, that sense of support in your family. And it's a big risk, especially if you're middle middle income, lower income, you know, where you need your siblings, you need your family. So it will be very difficult for to to kind of detach yourself from that cultural practice of spirituality or religion that most people in your family or your community um, pursue. And I can see how for a person who already have that mindset that this spirituality, or at least the, this practice of religion is not working for them, when they go to a new place, um, say like the West in America, for example, where people are encouraged to embrace themselves, embrace their individuality, as long as it's legal, there's no sense of, um, you would not be ostracized, so to speak. They're more inclined to do that. 
Yeah. And they realize, oh shit, I don't have to go to church on Sunday. Yeah. <laughs> like, wow. Exactly. Oh, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So Sam, Sam, did that did that answer your question? Yes, it did. Thank you so much. So it, it seems like you're having some type of co- a confliction when it comes to um religion in Nigeria. Is that is that what I'm sensing here? Yes, I am. We like I told you, like I mentioned earlier, we're very religious people. And then when you say uh, religion is not actually part of our culture, I think I would say it does. Like technically now, you'd find like like I told you, to find more religious people that we've accepted that culture. I think these guys brought it here, and then we embraced it like hook, line, sinker, no doubt. Like when you have issues with anybody, it's always religion, 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 religion. People like you, you know what we're going through here with terrorism and all that. Still religion, where where you see folks wake up one morning and say, yes, we don't want to accept Western education and all that, and then there's Boko Haram killings and all that. So I think basically this is what we face here. And that's why I brought it up and say, okay, then I, what if I travel out? Because what, what, what statistics we saw at some point was that when we have Nigerians travel out, we, we observe that they become less religious. Like you don't see them pray about things they can do themselves. Like here, like every little thing you have, you have, you have an little issue. It's always ah, God, God, do this for me, God. Like it's always about religion. It's always about God, God, God. Yeah, you get the point too. And then when you when you see most of them, most of them, because I haven't traveled out before. Like when you see them leave, they become less religious. Like they they don't when they don't advise you to go pray. They prefer solutions to you. I can actually bring it down to say health when you have health related issues in Nigeria here. You have people who tell you to go and pray over maybe stuff like infantitis, maybe stuff, stuff that can be diagnosed uh, maybe in the Western world and it will be treated like normally and all that. But sometimes here yeah, you will be asked to fast, pray, and do all that stuff just to get healing. So that's my point about if uh, reacting to what Rocky said, if I leave Nigeria and then out there I understand that, okay, this can actually be solved. Diabetes can actually uh, be treated or be managed and not pray over it. And then it's a, I, I strongly say, or I would say it's, it's, it's not a culture in me because like, like that religion is not a culture. Would that, is it proper to drop it and then, okay, move on with uh, what I've just seen there? Is it, is it normal? That's why I asked that question. And then I appreciate the answers I got from you. I appreciate Joanne and uh, Ben, I appreciate. Yeah, I, I hear I hear what you're saying. I, and I do hear your concern. To be honest, from my perspective, I don't think a lot of Nigerians, or at least Africans, but at least Nigerians, I don't think they, they become less religious when they move to, um, let's say, they're abroad. I, me, personally, there's still a lot of praying going on. There's still a lot of praying and fasting, Jesus is Jesus that. And there's no shade, no disrespect to, you know, those people at all. Do you? Yeah. Not a problem. But I also because, feel like part of... You want to say something, Joe? Yeah, because you know what? Like, from the minute we grow up, like, it's the it's the one thing they manipulate us with. Like, yes. Or if you, if you do something wrong, or something wrong happens to you, it's like yeah, because you wronged God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah exactly. you're a disobedient yeah. person to yeah. God, you know. So they mani- they there's that manipulation, and it it once you go out of your own country, it makes you really hate religion because you realize mm. like oh wow, what I have been taught to know or to believe is not what it is because there. You're not money. You're not being told that you, you need to pay. Um, you need to pay tithe so that you get more money. 
you know when you mm-hmm. go to the west you like you need to work hard to actually get that money but mm-hmm. here you still western told you need to give you need to give time you need to give 10% of your income for you to get even more <clears throat> you're not telling you that 10% invest and get more so there's a lot of manipulation when it comes to religion and that's why i think when people go out of their countries they just become less religious mm-hmm. can i chip in on the religion part yeah go ahead please I feel like uh just with what uh Joe just said you know, religion has really been used to I don't know brainwash or take away the ability to think um for yourself for like most Africans it has in a way also become a business <clears throat> because what you see is somebody you know they just get a little bit of money there they go to get a tent to get a few microphones few speakers and then they starting a church and they have people coming in giving in their money and they expecting to get blessings and you know i think a part of this you know it's, it's like you have more people focusing on religion you know you have more people opening churches than opening businesses or opening non-profit organizations that are there to help um kids in the community and i think for me that is one disadvantage that we are having as africans that there is a really huge focus on religion and that prevents us from focusing on other things that can help us prosper and like another thing that i like i a part of me is not happy with religion in and this focuses on christianity especially with south africa you look at how did christianity arrive to south africa and you know it takes you back to colonization and you know it was used for you know you know like i think there's a quote about you know if you want to change people's culture change their religion uh and you know for for you know for southern africans what i realize is you know we have left our indigenous traditions you know my dad is a traditional healer but you will find a lot of people are like you know we don't need traditional healers traditional healers practice witchcraft like voodoo and yes. things and you know that to be honest is a stigma you know that's created about our own indigenous people and you know I, i'm not religious at all and you know i've said this to like even my own my own parents my own family members that i would rather you know uh believe in voodoo and everything than be a christian because to me you know that's where my people start from so it is interesting to see how much a lot of africans will uh, object uh, western ideas but and still they will accept religion like christianity or something like that um but but i'm not saying christianity is bad you know i've met a lot of yeah, awesome of course not um and i think it's just a matter of realizing that you don't have to leave behind you know where you come from or despise your ancestors or anything like that i i agree with both of you lucky and and joe and thank you lucky for pointing out something that I'm, i want to just uh, discuss later on african spirituality but like i said i don't think the problem is religion or christianity or whatever it is that you practice out there i just i'm not religious i don't go to church i don't that's not my thing. You know, I used to be religious. I used to be super religious, read the Bible every day, memorized many passages in the Bible. It was more so like a cultural norm back in Nigeria until I just chose 
to distance myself from that and for my own personal reasons. And I don't have any problems with people who are religious necessarily, as long as you're not overly and obnoxiously religious. I respect religion for, for what it actually offers for people who use religion right. I really actually do respect it. However, my issue with religion though, especially the way it's being ran in Africa, and I'm pretty sure not just in Africa, you know, other parts of the world, um, is the lack of distinction between religion and spirituality. I believe that spirituality is more so like an individual thing, you know, like your way, your way to project yourself into the world. And like I've mentioned in a lot of my um, my podcasts, I believe that people are made of everything, so the physical, the mental, and the spiritual. Just like every single one of us on this discussion right now literally look different physically. Our mentalities are also different, just like our spirits are also different. So your way to connect spiritually is going to be different from somebody else's way of connecting spiritually, you know, because we're different distinct people. Just like my mentality is different from Joe's, which is different from Sam's, which is different from Lucky's, and which is different from Wisdom's. Just like my physical is very difficult, sorry, very different from every single one of us. Um, but unfortunately, my opinion, though, is I feel like the, the impact of religion in Africa is as a um, direct direct result of white supremacy. My that's just my opinion anyway, and anybody could you can feel free to counteract that, no problem. But I think that it it was a tool of manipulation that the Europeans used and Africans to kind of dumb us down, um, basically telling us pray right now when you die, your heaven comes, you know your goodness comes. But right now when you suffer, it's okay to suffer. But while you're praying, I'm going to take your resources, enslave your people, take them to my country to build my own heaven, because I believe that my heaven is right now. That is just the way I'm able to compartmentalize it. And I understand that for a lot of Africans, um, especially in Nigeria, it becomes an endearance thing because there's really not a whole lot of opportunities in Nigeria, for example, for an average Nigerian to kind of go against that as opposed to in the West. You know, like, like say somebody from Nigeria who moves to America, they're still very religious. But if they need money, more than likely, they'll just go to college. They'll go to, they'll go apply for jobs because there are job applications out there. There are job opportunities out there. There are colleges out there. You know, the opportunities are there. They will pray about it because that's just also a cultural thing that they brought from their country, right? But they'll also be more pragmatic about it, more proactive about it because opportunities do exist. But for the average Nigerian, or at least the lower income class Nigerians who don't have those opportunities, who don't have any type of outlets whatsoever. Nobody's hiring you. Nobody gives a crap about your existence in your little village in Nigeria. The only other option you have is to pray about it because it now becomes a thing of endearment and it becomes very personal for you because you don't have an outlet. So I could totally understand it. But again, I, I think it's just the lack of distinction between spirituality and religion. And um, if you're able to tap into spirituality, which I think is, I really recommend that everybody tunes their hearts into spirituality. I think, it, I think it's a beautiful thing. And if you don't, I totally respect it. I get it, no problem. But if you're able to tune yourself into spirituality, your mentality will be different and you realize that you actually don't need religion to be able to reach that spirituality. I believe religion is a medium through which you can reach spirituality, but not the only medium. And the way I look at it is religion is sort of like a gym, you know, um, and spirituality is sort of like the good health you're supposed to get out of the gym. A lot of people who go to the gym don't actually achieve good health, right? Just like some people who go to the gym actually do achieve good health. But the gym is not the only medium through which you can achieve good health. You can just go to the park. You can just eat right. You know, you can just 
um, exercise in your bedroom and you're still able to attain good, good health better than somebody who goes to the gym every day. You know, that person who goes to the gym every day, you don't know what kind of brokenness that they have, mental health problems, um, blood work problems, broken bones and whatever it is that they're dealing with you're actually much healthier than that person the same thing too when it comes to religion and spirituality a lot of times a lot of people in africa go to you know go to churches worship religions so diligently um but they're not able to tap into that spirituality and as a result the mentalities perpetuate the same problems that keep going on in africa and that is the problem you know that is a problem on its own. i don't know if that makes sense yeah, and, and you know, the funny thing about this pen is that um, most people don't even know the difference between Christianity and spirituality. If you tell them about spirituality, they think you're talking about devil worshipping or something. Yes. Like and I would say, personally for me, for the longest time when I was a kid, I thought Jesus was like some white dude with golden <laughs> hair. And, and th- and that's the same that's the same that's the same story across different countries in, in in Africa and up to now you go to the village there are some villages you go to and you ask small kids or you ask even grown ups like who do you think Jesus looks like and they will tell you it's just this white dude with mm-hmm. long blonde hair and that just goes to show how still how far behind we are from reaching to a point where we can actively say like yeah, me, I'm spiritual and I'm not Christian. Or I'm spiritual Muslim. So and you're absolutely right. And that's why I say that religion is, is a tool of manipulation as and a direct result of white supremacy. Because mm-hmm. um when it comes to spirituality, we have our own spirituality, African spirituality. Like prior to the Europeans coming to our countries or you know, our our individual countries and, and our continent at large. We have our own things. We have the medicine men and women. We have the, uh, the herbalists. We have uh, the spiritual men and women. We had all those things. And they worked for us for centuries prior to these people coming. You know, Yes, we didn't have the skyscrapers, the flashy cars, all the things that we worship today on social media. We didn't have that. But we had our own sense of identities. We had our own sense of community. And you know, as a result of white supremacy, the uh, colonial masters came to our countries and basically brainwashed us to look down on our own, you know. Anything spiritual, African spiritual sounding, resembling, it's considered evil. It's considered, is looked down on unless you're worshiping the white Jesus, which really Jesus is not a white man. Jesus is from Palestine and Palestinians yeah. are darker skin. But it's still yeah, yeah. that, it's still that mentality of white is better. The closer you are to whiteness, the more right you are. And unfortunately, this is a global phenomenon. It's a, it's a pandemic on its own, but specifically in Africa, I think it's really bad. And I feel like, from my perspective, I feel like um, religion, or at least over-religiousness, over has kind of pacified the African, the average African, has made us mentally lazy. And I don't mean like literally lazy, you know, it kind of, our fight or flight doesn't kick in anymore. You know, instead of being more proactive as to our true problems, because there's so much wrong with Africa, just like there's a lot of beauties in Africa, but let's keep it real. There's a lot of wrong with Africa. But when we but, hit those... Yeah, but but Ben, you know, it's not, I don't think it's entirely, it's, I don't think it's 100% on us, because even if you look at the Western depiction of African um, um, spirituality, it's some voodoo worshiping, weird things you know black magic and sort of thing mm-hmm. 
Yeah, sorry. It, that's that's why I wanted to. Yeah. Sorry, Joanne. That's why I wanted to ask, ask. I wanted Ben to. I wanted you both to uh, explain more about your concept of spirituality. Like, if you don't believe in, is it still God you believe in? Because aside, if we say we don't believe in, like you don't believe in religion, and then the white man gave us a Bible and all that, Jesus and everything. So what? What's your concept of spirituality like? What do you believe in then? Is it, is it okay? Like what John was about saying now? Is it the voodoo stuff, the, uh, the black magic, the like we might place the Amadionha, the idol worshiping, and all that? So, what's your concept of spirituality? I think the voodoo you're talking about. I want, I want to react. I want to react to what Sam said now. Oh, wisdom! Can you please introduce yourself because we know you've been having issues with your mic. Exactly. I've been having technical issues. But but I'm I'm glad I'm with you now. Uh, my okay. my name is Wisdom. I'm from the southeastern part of uh, Nigeria. I'm from Nigeria too. Where Sam is from. So I'm from I'm from a tribe, a hardworking tribe. From a hardworking tribe that loves uh, traveling to different countries. I was meant to know that there are people from discussion Kenya. If you make your researches, you see that there are people from my tribe in your place to travel, travel a lot. So that's one thing I'm so proud about, about, about my, my tribe. I think that's enough introduction. Then adding to what the Sam said, Sam was, I saw, I had when Sam was mistaking Christianity to being our in our culture, we have our own, just like you said, Ben, we have our own traditional culture and with regard to spirituality, all this African spirituality, whatever they believe, still boils down to having this superior being, whether in heaven, whether somewhere else, you call him uh, you call him whatever, whatever. I just feel they are still the same thing. They are still the same God. They're serving the same God in, in different languages. In different, there's no how we will understand God in his totality as humans. So that somebody is not a Christian doesn't mean a person is not serving God. And uh, you don't need to believe in Jesus. You don't need to be attending the churches, clapping hands and singing songs for you to believe in God. So we are worshiping the same God in different languages, in our, in our own different understanding. Thank you. Thank you very much, Wisdom. And, and I do agree with you. Unfortunately, a lot of people back in Nigeria don't necessarily see it like that. The reason why you have this mentality is because you have a very enlightened, you're very aware, you're very educated, and you're so well-traveled. The average Nigerian doesn't see it like that, and they're quick to shut you down when you basically challenge that norm in their country in their region you know and they see you as an outcast and and unfortunately in a place in a community based society like nigeria that could be quite detrimental to you because you can get ostracized socially and even professionally legally actually you know for not conforming to the status quo and lucky you've been raising your hand for a while could you please um kitchen oh i was actually raising my hand uh from last time but i also say <clears throat> with religion what i've realized is that you know in it making us less proactive 
what happens is a lot of issues get hidden away. You know, maybe somebody is not doing well at school and what they're told, keep on praying, 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 go to church, keep more money, instead of like, hey, maybe you should, you know, try to study harder or find a different way to, to, to study or, you know, get an advisor to help you out with your academics. Um, and it is also, you know, being used to cover up mental health issues. You know, it's not very mm -hmm. easy to go out and talk, up, talk about, oh, I'm having this kind of situation. And you also like have people who are having, you know, financial issues. Uh, you know, maybe you, you just cannot come up with a budget. You go to the church, they're telling you, oh, it's because someone, your family is doing this. So you have to give more money to the church and stuff like that. So I think some things are just like, it's a lake of uh, technical skills, but then instead of um, instead of trying to solve that problem, we just take it and we say, oh, it's because of religion, you know. And I think you know it just goes back to how the thing with you know white supremacy and trying to you know get Africans to be not involved in you know the politics and the economy and the education of their country. Yeah, thank you, Lucky. I totally do agree with you. I, I believe the big problem here is white supremacy. I believe white supremacy basically looked down on African spirituality and continues to do so um, through Western media. Unfortunately, like when you watch American movies, for example, they're doing they're practicing voodoo, black magic, witchcraft, and it's depicted in a very, very demonic, very dark, very negative way you know and we consume these things you know we consume it we enjoy these movies we love horror movies but it subconsciously it kind of reinforces that negativity of what african religion is all about you know but that's not necessarily true though um and as a result you have people back in africa who also perpetrate that by thinking that this is what um african spirituality is you know as a thing without realizing that this is this is fallacy. This is just a tool of manipulation, and I believe this is why Beyonce made her album that she she created. I think a year or two years ago, Blackest King, where she was basically talking about African spirituality. Um, basically, I remember one of the videos that she made. One of the one of the lyrics said, "Find your way back home," you know. And in my opinion, she's trying to call the black race back to before the impurity from the colonial masters, because prior to that, we were our own distinct humans. You know, we, we were soulful people. We were able to communicate and commune to the gods and the spirits in the universe and things like that in our own way that suits our tradition, our culture, our individualities perfectly before somebody else came in and told us that we were doing it right. And then they give us theirs you know, that they created for themselves that works for them, but don't work for us. And white supremacy also goes much deeper because it's not just religion, you know, white supremacy, the closer you are to whiteness, the better your life is. And the further you are from whiteness, the not so good your life is. And that is continuously perpetuated on a global um, arena as to why black people are still overlooked, especially Africans are still overlooked till today. So I just think religion is one of those uh, the facets through which um, white supremacy is being is is being manifested. Um, does anyone want to chip into that before we discuss something else? And and Sam, I don't know if that answered your question. I, I, do you are you good with that? 
Yeah, I'm praying. Yeah, I'm praying with this. I just wanted to understand your the concept of IG. When I said um, religion was uh, a culture, it's, it's an accepted practice. Like, this is what we do. Like, you're born into, like, Joanne rightly mentioned, you're born into a family, you're quickly introduced to uh, religion. It becomes part of you. Like, if you're not careful, like, when you grow up, your instincts kicking, and then you decide, okay, this is not what I want to do. It's not, maybe you understand the, the concept, and then you're like, this is not what I want to do. This is not the kind of practice I want to grow up with, and all that. And then you decide to leave. But then, when I wanted to understand what you meant, I think I told you one time recently. I had, I had, I had this uh, reawakening. I had, I had doubts, and I had to call you on phone and then ask mm-hmm. you what you, what you felt here yeah, about, about um, religion. You believe in Jesus Christ. You believe in all that. Well, and then you told me about spirituality. So I wanted to get the point. If I want to practice spirituality, does it mean I have to go back to before? before the Westerners brought uh, religion to us, and then uh, when I practice my, my my black magic and all that, does it really show, it's, uh, is, it, is it spirituality, or just is the meaning of spirituality is just, okay, I believe in God, and I believe that there is a being upstairs there, and then I just mm-hmm. believe in him, and then I pray to him, I worship him, that's what I wanted to, that's the decision I wanted to get, and then so that people outside within uh, that might listen would understand what you actually mean by, okay, I'm a spiritual person, I'm not more of a, I'm not a religious person, I'm just more spiritual. Okay, my spirituality, I believe in um, someone up there, and then I pray to him every morning, I don't go to church. This is just how I live my life. That's just what, what I wanted us to the point. I wasn't having a doubt about maybe the difference and all that. Thank you. Yeah, and, and we'll definitely talk about this in depth in um, subsequent episodes, or you and I, we could talk about it one-on-one about spirituality and African spirituality, um, no problem. But I do want to move on to talk about opportunities. I do want to move on to talk about opportunities in Africa, and I want this to be as very honest and raw as possible. Um, a lot of times, I've, I, like I said, I lived in Nigeria, and some of the people I lived with in Nigeria, or at least um, when I was a kid, back in Nigeria, I'm still in touch with them. And I'm seeing, like, they're being very honest with me behind the scenes as to some of the realities, the harsh realities of opportunities in Nigeria, like, you know, education opportunities, social opportunities, um, employment opportunities. I do want us to talk about this in a very realistic and raw manner as to some of the harsh realities when it comes to opportunities in Africa, or at least in your region. Like, what is the opportunities like in your country, job opportunities, um, is it is it a realistic path of going to school, education system? Does it serve you, right? You go to school, graduate, find a job. Does it serve you well as the system claims to? Okay, so this is like individual, right? Yes, of course. Okay, so let me let me just go ahead and say this. Um, personally, I feel like um, for my country right now, one, it has to do with... Um, uh, social class in the sense that they, the government um, says that there is free education but when you think about it it's not really free in, in the sense that um, people think that it is right and so if they claim that they're giving free education and there's, then they're, they're not it means that there's, um, there's a chunk of people that are, are being you know they don't they're, they're being like left behind right so that already in itself, um, they aren't like you, like you're a few steps, you few steps behind uh, when it comes to any like um, opportunities that are there, 
right? Um, another thing is that there's there's a lot of course corruption, and it's not it's it's not just Kenya. It's in a, a very many countries in Africa. There's a lot of corruption, whereby even if there are opportunities, if I have the money to pay for them, then you know I get I get I get a certain opportunity before someone else does, whether I am less qualified or I'm more qualified than them. So I feel like for me and where I come from. I would say it's 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 between two things. It's between you either you're either so lucky that you get these opportunities, or you just come. You know your financial background allows you to get um, certain opportunities. Yeah, that's and it. is and is the job market realistic in your country though? Like if if you were to go through this uh, school system, the education system in Kenya, is there like a like a realistic opportunity for you to be employed and actually be able to utilize your education in your country? I would say, I would say it's 20% is realistic. 80% is not realistic because there are a lot of, there are a lot of people with degrees and masters and PhDs that are still, you know, jobless. So they're, they're, they're roasting maize by the roadside or they're boiling eggs to sell on the, you know, they're selling secondhand clothes. There are a lot of, people who have gone through the system and they've gone they've uh, um, gone to to uh, they've uh, gone to universities or colleges and they have attained you know higher le high level learning and they have degrees and they have the papers to show and they have the expertise but they're still not getting the job so i'd say 20 percent is realistic but 80 percent is not realistic so so would you then say that um the education system in your country does not serve no, the average Kenyan? Absolutely not. It does not. Okay. So, but, but are there still people who are actively pursuing the education in Kenya? Like every yeah. year people are still going to college yeah. and, you know. We're still do yeah, we're still doing it. We're still hoping for the best. And, you know, you're so, lucky if you get it. You're lucky if you, if you, if you don't. So basically, Joe, um, to reiterate, so you basically said that realistically the education system in kenya does not work it does not work for the average kenyan because you know 20 percent um fruitful and 80 percent futile so my question is if it does not work and major majority of people have that consensus that it does not work why do people blindly still pursue education in kenya knowing fully well that it does not work is there a reason behind that if you can kind of share with us yeah we don't have any other option <laughs> You're just, you know, you're dealt with those, uh, you dealt with that hand, you just have to take it. But, but it, it, doesn't that pacify you from, or at least an average Kenyan pacify you from seeking alternative options, you know, like more so realistic opportunities that could actually work in your country? For example, sales, business, skills that, um, that are lacking in Africa. That's, I feel like there may be a lot of opportunities, untapped opportunities in Africa, but unfortunately, a lot of people are going through the, the Western system, you know, like go to school, go to middle school, primary school, secondary school, um, college, grad school, and then get employment. And realistically, realistically from what, what I'm hearing from you and from what I've heard from a lot of Nigerians, it does not work. So why keep joining that? Why keep maintaining that? Why keep reinforcing that? knowing fully well that it doesn't work instead of possibly looking into other opportunities in Africa that can be possibly tapped into. Well, I, I guess also it's just part of life. You, you, you're born, 
you go to school, whether you like it or not. And I think right now it's changing a little bit where we people actually have the chance to explore alternative um, alternative ways of um, um, earning a living. So it's it's changing in the sense that you don't you don't really like it's not like instilled in you that you have to go to school you know when i was in school like it was i you either a lawyer or a doctor or an engineer there's nothing else that you can become mm-hmm. right and so there was an age where there are too many doctors too many engineers too many lawyers and the rest of us are just like kind of like somewhere in between and you're like oh so what do we do because you didn't qualify to be you know that what which was deemed to be the uh, the measure of success right so I, I in a way life is changing and people are looking for alternative ways to earn a living despite having gone through school to do whatever courses they have but i still think the education system does not favor the average kenyan is there also um a fear of judgment a fear of being looked down upon if you don't go to school if you don't you know do what everybody else is doing being a doctor being a being an engineer being a nurse whatever it is you know is there a stigma attached to not following that path as opposed to following a skill set doing some type of manual labor because i know the same thing happens here in america As a matter of fact i know some people who have skill sets who have um blue collar jobs that they make more money than some people who are actually employed and have degrees and even grad school degrees is there some type of stigma some type of judgment associated with that perhaps that's an incentive yeah yes and because i can i can be like a plumber uh in america and i can earn so much (laughs) but a plumber here can get you can cannot get cannot, cannot get you cannot help you get by right so you can't stand in front of people and be like, oh, yeah, I'm a plumber. Like, people will be like, okay, so so now what do we do? We clap for you or what? You know, you're considered as a failure. So, okay. yeah, so, but but like I've said, those, those the, that way of thinking is slowly changing. And we're, we're getting into a culture where even me as, as a female, I can choose to become a carpenter. And I can, I can you know, I can make, I can choose to make furniture. And, or, and, you know, I can, I can earn a living out of that. So, yeah, in a, in a, I wouldn't say that all of this is bad. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, things, things are changing and they're changing for the, for the better. Okay. So, so is it fair to say that the average uh, Kenyan has Western education, so to speak, you know, has a degree, yes. but uh, may not necessarily be practicing in that field. They're doing something else yes. on the side, like let's say some type of side hustle to survive, but they still have a degree on the side, right? Yes, yes, yes. Would you say that there's some type of benefit from that, from that degree, though, even though they may not necessarily be practicing? With no, them, you know? no, not really. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Sam, do you have something to pitch in from a Nigerian perspective? Yeah, about um, opportunities in Nigeria, yes? Yes. Uh, I, I feel... Uh, I feel the government, like, aside education, like, basically after going to school, you are they're looking for a job. And like, according to the Nigerian Bureau of Statistics, we have uh, about 7.6% of unemployed people. And they are basically youths. Uh, we, we have a higher number of youths roaming the streets after school, certificates, looking for jobs. The system frustrates you. And then 
when we say we want to probably dump our certificates and maybe start a sort of a business, small scale business to probably help ourselves out, the system also frustrates you. You have exorbitant rates of uh, registering your business in Nigeria here. I think there was one we actually did recently. We, we came up with an idea of, uh, of being, opening a delivery service where we buy our motorbike and we kind of take orders and deliver. But the, what the government did was come out with, uh, with, with prices that are too high, way too higher than what you actually use in starting the business. Like you can own two bikes for say uh, 300,000 here. The government placed uh, the registration to, to be around 150, 150,000 for a small scale business. So when you see you who are tired of going around looking for jobs that are not there and the jobs that are there, uh, people that normally get those jobs are those that have the connections. Those are related to to government officials, like actually stay in Abuja in Nigeria. And I have first-hand experience of how this whole stuff works. That like you keep roaming around the streets, you don't get these jobs. And since Abuja is the capital of Nigeria, you have kids of senators, House of uh, Representative members, chairmen of parties, and they get these jobs even before. Like you don't get the announcement that some uh, offices, you don't even get the announcement of uh, vacancies. Like these places are already filled by relations, children of these big, big people. So it's uh, actually very difficult for a young person having graduated from university. You're going out there, even if you make we have first class guys that, that do minimal, very, very low class jobs. People that finish very well in university, scientists that finish very well in university, are still going around looking for jobs that should be available to them. But it's not. So and then when you fall back to a creating a business to further push yourself out there, the, the system still kind of frustrates you. You have you you have rates that are levies that, 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 that are not right. You're in your shop. For instance, you have a shop, you're you're trying to sell, you see the area council tax force come, they come there like they'll be like, Okay, have you paid for this? Have you paid for that? They don't they you see that most most of the monies you're making it's still going back to the government and you have nothing to show for it. So it's, it's actually it's actually a bad one here. And that's the reality we're facing here. It's actually a bad one. And the only system that kind of, that has been paying off a uh, little recently is the apprenticeship business, the uh, sector of you serving someone, like even as a graduate, like I have, I have friends who after school had to go back to learning skills, to learning how to repair cars, how to do this and that. And then at the end of the day, they, they get paid off or settled by the master. So it will help open another new shop for them. But depending on the government for these opportunities or waiting on for someone to come from anywhere to help you out, this is, this is the reality we have in Nigeria. That's why we have extreme poverty, like especially in the north, which is where I am actually now. That's why we have this, this Poverty, this high rate of poverty here, because we, the, the opportunities are not there. And then you see, you see, you see foreign experts. You see someone who might be uh, a plumber in China coming here and getting the job, doing something we ourselves can can do here very well. Like think, for instance, I, I I actually had this idea about waste management, and which is actually one of uh, a sector I feel is on top here, like to to how to manage waste and all that. But you see. The companies con uh, currently managing this whole stuff here are foreign companies. 
These are stuff we can do on our own. And the government supports these people. You see them, you give, they give them the opportunity, they give them the leverage, they give them the security. You see, you see, um, maybe somebody you say is an honorary guy from China or from Turkey, from anywhere. Once he's a white guy, he has every little thing, the provisions, everything he wants, he'll, he'll get it. And then the government gives him free hand to run that business. That's, that's part of the stuff we're facing here. And then, uh, Ben, you uh, recently we had this border, this border closure and all that, and it affected most of most of the the, the unemployed people here. And you you it, it, it sound very funny, like to know that even while we had this border closed, while business was not moving very well, we still had instances of rich men still having their products imported. Like the border wasn't closed for some set of people, but it was closed for you, the ordinary guy, the ordinary woman there trying to make a living, like. The opportunities here, because of the system, it's kind of limited or it's kind of caged that you cannot, you might not be able to access this sort of stuff. So that's, that's part of the problems we, we, we are facing here. It's not like we have a lot of untapped uh, uh, opportunities here, but the, the, the system frustrates you. That's just it. So, so from your perspective, it's not that the opportunities are not there. There's so many opportunities in Nigeria. It's just that those opportunities are limited to certain groups of people. A lot of opportunities are out here. Like we have a lot of opportunities out here, but it's just limited to a certain set of people. Like these are the people that control the economy. That because the set of people that have they have this leverage to do whatever they want, and you, the average Nigerian, you have nothing. You so have you, you're from this class. Yeah. And you're saying a lot of these opportunities are available to foreign expats? Yeah, a lot of these opportunities are available to foreign expats. Like I, like I gave you instances, you see um, the government will prefer to invite uh, um, an expatriate, uh, someone from, say, China, who is actually a plumber, a plumber, that you can also do the kind of job he does here. Like you can offer your expertise, you can offer your, uh, your, your, your ideas on certain projects. But the government will prefer invite. You know why they do this stuff is, they get the, like if, if they were supposed to pay you, say, you were supposed to be paid, um, say, 200,000 there, the mm -hmm. government doubles it. And then wow. they, they also gain from it. Yeah, they also gain from it. Say that they're supposed to pay the, the expert, they're supposed to pay him, say, the same 200,000 there. What is going to be on the budget is going to be about four, four, 400,000. And then because it's a white man coming in, the mentality, mentality there is, oh, okay, yeah, it's actually true. Yeah, you're actually social resources to invite these guys down here and then like if, if you see the security the 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 protection the and you know what they do is they actually use this our guys they use the nigerian guys to do the job they just stand there and direct you and tell these what to do and these guys actually know what to do so the opportunities opportunities we have are given out to foreign experts like we have we have the strong ties with china currently in nigeria so these opportunities are given, handed over to these guys, and then we have nothing at the end of the day. The youth keep running, roaming around the streets looking for jobs. But, but why do you think that is, though? And anybody feel free to pitch it on that. Why is it that we we prefer foreign, you know, foreign investment, foreign expats, and we actually willing to spend more money inviting them here, offering security and paying them double, if not even triple, of what we would pay a local person to get the same job done and also create an opportunity for your own person. Why is that? Somebody please answer that. I would say I would say I would say yeah. it's also it also it's also what Sam said that the the government stands to gain 
like they can corrupt the numbers and say we're giving this person uh, this certain figure when they're not. Uh, and also we buy in into so much Western stuff that we in ourselves, like we don't believe that we can, we are capable or, you know, this lack of faith that you should think that, oh, if this uh, person is from this place, they know better than someone who's from your, your hometown and mm. they have done the same, the same course. So yeah, I would say it's two things. One, because the, the government, there's something the government wants to gain. And two, it's because we've just bought into too much uh, into the Western culture that we, you know, we don't think that we ourselves, like all our people are capable of doing the same job and, and to do it better. Can you please elaborate more on the government standing in the game? Because from my perspective, unless I'm missing something, the government is losing more because they're they're paying way more money to invite a person, make them feel accommodated, cared for, and also paying them for their labor, which is significantly more than they would spend on a local. So can you please elaborate how also the government may gain from that? I would say that uh, one thing that they, the, I don't know, what contracts they do with because this, this we have the same problem that Sam is saying that we also have Chinese influence here yeah. and so we don't know what kind of contracts our government have with the Chinese because even if you look at our uh, we have the railway uh, the railway gauge line that they built most of the stations are written in English and Swahili and Chinese and if you think about it we really don't have that big um, percentage of um, Chinese people living here for them to have, you know, things written in, you know, like the uh, the stations written in Chinese. So it, it, I don't know what kind of contract that uh, our government, you know, signs with um, certain and uh, with different um, Western countries. But also, why why I said it's the government stands to gain is why should I take, like, say, two thousand dollars from a local when I can bug like $10,000, right? So if you employ a local person, you're going to underpay them and you can't claim that, oh, this person has been paid this much. But when you employ someone like, say, like a white person or Chinese person, you can say that, oh, I've paid this person this amount and people won't really bat an eye because they're like, oh, they're foreign they're foreigners and yeah, well it exactly. makes sense why they're being paid this yeah i would like to contribute i would like to respond to your question these white people they actually understand the african leaders very well they understand the african leaders. they understand how selfish the african leaders are mm. continue hello uh, I think I'm making a good point. Go ahead, Lucky. So, for me, I feel contractors. Because we have local contractors, we have very good local contractors that can do our own, do the railway, but they will always prefer to go to China. Yes, I was going to say, I think the issue with having African governments relying more on uh, services from outside countries or, you know, countries countries outside the continent. I think it just goes back, this has already been mentioned. There is a huge value that is put on goods that are written, 
made in the US, made in China, made in the UK, and goods that we tend made in Tanzania or made in South Africa. And I think in a way, uh, like local business businesses are not being supported by you know most of our leaders. And I do understand that in some cases it might have to do with laws or bindings and stuff like that that they have with other countries. But I do believe that the the local market is not being supported very well. Um, and that is something that we that our leaders need to really push forward to by making you know products from outside countries to be more expensive or by taxing them higher amounts so that people are pushed to move towards the local market. Because what is the use for uh, you know getting skills on how to you know make clothes when you know that somebody's just gonna go and buy a Nike or an Adidas t-shirt. You know, mm -hmm. so that is a disadvantage that we have. And I think, you know, we really need, like in order for the people to, to rise and show their skills, the government has to show support for them. You know, you mm -hmm. have a lot of trying out business ideas, but those businesses cannot succeed because they're not competing with businesses that are local. They're comp competing with multi-billion businesses that are international. So that really puts the African entrepreneur at a disadvantage and they just cannot do anything. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't want to sound ignorant at all, but are there actively, are there people who are actively and diligently holding the leaders accountable for this? Because obviously this is, this is not working and it's very sad, it's very selfish that you would prefer a foreigner over your own person. And you know, like Wisdom was saying before he got cut off, we would prefer to go to somebody in China um, because we believe that we have their product is better than ours, but which is not necessarily true though, because Chinese or made in China, made made in China merchandise is not as it's not as quality as something made maybe in, in America. And it's not just because it's coming from America anyway, but made in China has that reputation of not having the best quality. And you could you're actually more likely to find something of a higher quality in Nigeria, especially if you support your own people. Like if you were support a business in Nigeria, more than likely they can actually produce something that is of a better quality than a made in China product. And it will still be significantly cheaper than purchasing something from China because you know it's local and you don't have to pay the the exchange taxes, the foreign taxes, the shipping, import, and all that stuff. And at the same time, too, you're supporting your own people. So it, it's it's quite unfortunate. But my question is, are there people who are actually actively holding these people accountable, like doing something about it and actually being serious about it, being proactive about it? I know Nigeria had the protest, the NSARS protest a few months ago. But when it comes to opportunities, the disparity in education system, opportunities and the population of the communities in our individual countries, what is being done actively and being realistically and harshly done to shape things? Uh, ben, <clears throat> I, feel, I feel this corruption is um, actually deep-rooted in, in our systems and we in mostly our leaders. Um, le let me give you an instance. We have we have an indigenous uh, Nigerian from the south is at uh, cars. You see, the government would prefer to import cars. You see, uh, the, 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 the politicians in Nigeria would prefer to import 
uh, foreign car other than to patronize him. You know why? I feel, and which, which is the way I look at it, I feel these guys stand to gain more. Like, just like Joan pointed out the other time, like, when you see a white guy doing this job, and then this is where we, we have issues. Well, technically, most people might not question him. They might believe this guy is more experienced. This guy has the, the technical know-how. This guy can do this job efficiently. And then when you say this guy is paid $400 billion, the average Nigerian would, would simply buy it. Because if you employ the black guy there and say, okay, I'm paying this guy $400 billion, they'll be like, why are you paying him $400 million? What, what? Like, these people will question uh what what's actually happening like, people will be like why are you paying for them for this job for this same job but once it's a white guy once it's uh somebody of color that comes in then everybody says people don't question what's actually happening and then when you say holding this guy accountable i think we're, we're in nigeria here we're blinded by sentiment we we prefer to do tribalistic politics you you have people from this area who feel they are marginalized coming out to shout. We want this. We want this. We want to support. Want you to support us. We are rice farmers. Why are you making rice difficult to get? We can do this. We are actually manufacturing this. Why are you importing rice? We have this or other. And then you have people from certain parts of the country telling you, no, we love what this guy is doing. This is president or the governor. We like what this guy is doing, and we're supporting him. So you're out there. Like, like you, you rightly mentioned the NSAS protest, like I, like, I, like I mentioned before, I'm in Abuja. And then, you, if, if, if you saw what happened on that day, I was, I was actually lucky because I was thriving. I was actually lucky I wasn't uh, lynched by the mob. You see, when people come out to protest against bad government, you see certain people from certain parts being sponsored by the government coming to counter that protest. So when you say you're coming out, we have the, 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 the non-governmental organization coming out to protest. You have the therap, the, uh, the ones that hold government accountability and all that. When they come out to, 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 to question the government policy, to question what these guys are doing, why could you do something? Like we had issues of, uh, uh, what do you call this stuff, uh, handing over your, your territory to China. So we had issues about it recently, I'm trying to, I'm trying to remember the name, where we had a clause about China coming to support us with railway, and here we're seeding our, uh, 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 I'm, trying, I'm trying to remember the word now, like you seeding your, is it, is it authority or so? Like the government had to come out and explain, like when we were asking questions, like why would you have that kind of clause? Why would you have that kind of clause in, our, uh, um, in the agreement? And they were explaining that if Nigeria was not able to pay China from so time to so time, China would take over that venture. Say it's railway, China would take over that railway and then try to make their own money and pay themselves. You, you, you get what I'm saying? You get. So people came out to question, people came out to question what was happening. But the issue is, like I, as an individual, you come out and start questioning government. You start asking, holding government accountable. You are not doing this right, you're not doing this right, you're not doing this right. You have certain pro-government, people come out to support the government, either, either out of sentiment or either they are paid to do yeah. this stuff. You yeah, see, yeah, you see, right. you see, you, we have, we have activists, we had, we had, a, we had an experience last year, we had certain activists, we believed him, like a lot of us believed in him and he was always coming out to question the government. All of a sudden he went mute. It was, it was later when we, when like, we were, uh, stuff came out on the news that, okay, this guy was actually paid about a hundred million 
And then he took it and went back and stopped criticizing the government. So, and then we have the National Assembly, comprising of the Senate and the House of Representatives, that should question the government. But these this, this institutions are controlled by the same party that elected, that, that actually sponsored, uh, that, that has the president there. So you can't actually, you can't actually move for, okay, say you're coming out, you're telling the, the, the president, want to hold you accountable, why you're not doing this, why you're not doing this. The, the, you, you're immediately shut down. So nobody holds it, and the, the Nigerian government, like everybody knows that the Nigerian president controls a lot of power, a lot of authorities. Like he has the power to do this and do that. Like he has absolute power. So you, I, it's actually kind of, because of the system, the institution is actually kind of difficult to shut him down. So you have the Senate president, you have the, the, the House of Representatives, uh, the speaker, all being his party members, all loyal supporters. So who questions him? That's the point. And then when you question him, you yeah. don't get the feedback. You keep shouting and shouting and shouting and making endless uh, uh, protests. And then at the end of the day, you have, you have people that will come and attack you. So it's, it's actually a deep desktop. It's actually very difficult here. Thank you very much. Mm. I, do, I do have, thank you very much for sharing that. But I do have two questions. The first one is, you did mention that a lot of times when a person in Nigeria, possibly other parts of Africa, when we see a white person working um, and getting paid millions, you know, we don't question it. We basically automatically assume that, yeah, they deserve it, you know, because he's white or, or they're Chinese or whatever it is, you know. Um, would you say that is also a reflection, even though it's, it's white supremacy, would you also say that is a reflection of black inferiority? Do you, would you say that some of us, we feel inferior? And I don't want to say, I don't want to generalize, you know, collectively generalize that Africans feel inferior of their blackness, but would you say that there is a way, a possibility that we black people in Africa, we perpetuate that white supremacy by embodying the mentality of black inferiority? Would you, would you agree with that? Uh, yes, Ben, I think I would agree with that. Let me, let me give you an instance also. In 2012, I actually worked for Innocent, uh, and we had this guy from China and the company and the industry there. But you see, what, what they actually came to do was what our black guys, our mechanical engineers, were actually doing. Like at some point they were just standing down, standing there, supervising, just looking at you, doing your job. And I don't know if you see them sitting down and smoking. I, I spent uh, one year there. Like they, these guys were apparently doing nothing. But you see, the guy that owns the company, the industry would rather pay a white guy, because he believes can, he can do the job very well. Not, even though he knows that you have the experience, you can actually do it. And then bringing it down to, to what I mentioned earlier on, when you're driving, you're driving uh, past the road, you see white guys, that are the one working, working on this road, like they're trying to start this road. The average black guy, the average Nigerian, let me bring, bring it down, feels this sense of, yeah, um, um, uh, fulfillment, that it's actually white guys doing this job that actually he, it can, he, he, he will deliver, he's going to do a very perfect and better job. So it's actually white supremacy. We believe that these guys are far better than us. When we ourselves have these experiences, we have, we, we, we have the ability to actually carry out the same functions these guys are carrying, but we feel so relaxed. Having, uh, yes, having that hope that, okay, this guy is actually the better person for the job. And then, so when the government comes out to tell us we're paying this guy for this amount for the job, we don't, we, we don't question it. We're like, yeah, this is white, yeah. And then not knowing that the government is actually using this sort of stuff for, for, for politics and corruption, mm -hmm. deep-rooted corruption. 
And the second thing I wanted to add is or ask is, so I know that the average Nigerian or African in general may not necessarily have the means um, and uh, opportunities and privileges to actually actively fight some of these corrupt leaders. Is there a way that people who may have those accesses, you know, those privileges outside of Nigeria, say Africans, outside of Africa, but say Africans in diaspora, is there a way that people outside of Africa can actually lend their services, lend their privileges, lend their support, and actually help give the people back on the continent, you know, a voice and a, a, a platform to actually be more proactive in fighting these corruption in Africa? Is, 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 is that a possibility? Yes, is there yes, an option? Ben, yeah, it's- yeah, there's an option, but what you see, they can actually do they can actually do little because they are actually outside uh, Nigeria, so it it uh, or outside Africa, so they cannot mm-hmm. lend their voice. And then, like what what we had during the entire protest, we had a lot of cash donations. They can actually support financially, which they did. Like we had a lot of we had a lot of uh, donations from them. We they, we saw them protest outside Nigeria for bad government. But you see, the, the issue is. When you keep protesting outside the country, lending your own voice, it, it actually might not affect the government directly or indirectly. In the sense that what, what we got the other time when Trump was there was Trump banned a lot of politicians from here traveling outside the country. Like we were, I, th- I think the concept then was okay, well, since you've messed up the country, you want to stay there and experience, like go through what you've, the discretion you've, you've done already here. I think that's what he did then. So that, that's the, that's the only aspect where we see uh, Nigerians in diaspora where where their voice actually where you see the British government okay asking questions about what happened and all that but then Nigeria is, is an independent country so even if they protest outside even if they lend their voices outside you know you don't expect foreign countries to come in and and take over which is not possible so what they can mm-hmm. only do there is what what they've been doing uh, recently you see when they because they, they're also tired you 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 you'd also notice that what we do here is every five minutes we call our brothers our siblings outside nigeria we're going through hell sending money sending money. and we actually do not sometimes we don't consider what you guys go through there but it's because the system is frustrating us so we believe you are doing well you have to support us so when we come out and want, want to hold the government accountable you see you see Nigerians in there sort of come out. They come out to like, okay, we want to support these guys, we want to stop this fight, but I think it can be better so that we can have less burdens on us, which they have been doing, which we, we uh, actually appreciate what they did. Like we had a lot of funds to push through. So we had a lot of cars destroyed uh, during the entire protest. We had we had well, cash uh, a gift to, to actually repair those cars, gift people, we had people that came out with uh, wheelchairs and all that. So my point is Ben, uh, they are actually doing uh, their part, but then you don't expect them to actually hold the government to account because they put listing. Like I told you, Nigerian government government here, like for instance, hold a lot of power. The government at the central, the the the, the presidency, the executive arm, they they hold a lot of they control a lot of power. So what they can do there is lend their voices, stand protest in front of embassies and all that, send money for mm-hmm. protest and all that, but then. It's still, I think it's we, those of us that are here, that hold, mm-hmm. that have this responsibility to, to hold the government accountable. But we sometimes are blinded by the little stuff we get. Like you see one mm-hmm. thing, there's, there's a spring up. There's a spring up. Yeah. Let's, let's take, for instance, you see wisdom is out there. 
lending his voice, and then he has a lot of support. And all of a sudden, wisdom goes, goes he goes mute. And you're like, what's wrong yeah. with wisdom? And then you, you begin to hear, okay, wisdom was called by the government, and wisdom was paid to some amount of money, and wisdom is now very comfortable. And then that's the that's the that's the ideology. And then wisdom yeah. is like, oh, so wisdom doesn't come out again to, to 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 speak up. And then when you even seek for help from foreign activists, they can actually just say a little. They can actually challenge the government. So, just say a little, but the government is still very powerful. That's the problem. That's the issue we have. Okay, thank you very much, Sam. Joe, do you have something to add to that? Um, I I I feel like uh, most of what happens, like I think Kenya and Nigeria are very similar in how things are run and how the systems work and all that. Mm-hmm. So I would say one, yes, there are ways that um, people in the and that uh, people in the diaspora can can help, um, but they shouldn't assume that how things work where they are works the same way here. Because yeah, yeah, you may you may hold protests uh, in America and they are peaceful, but here you try and the police are going to gun you down or tear gas you, and you know there's too much violence here. So it's like you need to you need to um, like they need to be here to understand how the politics of their, the whichever country they come from or they're supporting, how the politics they work, how the system works, and how that they ca- how they can customize their their involvement to fit that specific um, place. Yeah. So basically, I, to be realistic, you know, yeah. as to what would actually work, yeah, maybe yeah. different from where country their yeah. host country. Yeah, because I feel most Africans in the diaspora forget, they quickly forget how things work in Africa. <laughs> and, you know, they, the, whatever idea they have about Africa is very different from what their reality is. And then again, there's also like, I, I, I feel like sending, sending donations, it helps in a way, but it doesn't really help, right? In well, the sense that, in the sense that, um, in as much as it can help people acquire one to three things, it also, you know, you don't, you don't really have that sense of that, you know, I have, you know, I have fought to the nail to this. And also there's, there's too much corruption. Like, yeah, there are bodies that are trying to, or the, the bodies that would say that they are working, you know, to, you know, you change their political um, and environment in a country and they're getting donations and all that, but they're not really doing anything. They're just keeping the money for themselves, right? So yeah. you, ha- you really have to get involved more than just your donations. You have to, you have to, if you can physically go there, it's simple. Like people, like people in the diaspora need to be more involved and know that the conversation just does not end it continues you need to follow up you do whatever you can to use the tools that you you have been given or you have acquired where you are from and you know uh help people in your country to you know uh, yeah <laughs> just use what you have and um know what these people need and mm-hmm. help them in whatever way you can just not donate and sit pretty and wait for things yeah. to change. Yeah. 
And a lot of times, to add to that, a lot of times that's the easy part. You know, a lot of people, diasporans who live, say, in America, we sit here comfortably and be like, oh, I'll just donate money, or I'll just send money, without actually thinking deep about how that donation that you're sending could actually be hurting more than it's helping. And I'm not saying that, it, you know, not to send donation, not to send money back home. That's not what I'm saying. But sometimes, you know, sometimes that money that you're sending could actually be doing more harm than good. So for diasporans who are actually very passionate, who want to be very involved, want to be very, um, very active on the continent, it get all the way back to Africa, to move back to Africa. Are there realistic opportunities for them as diasporans, the returnees moving back from the America, the UK, the West, to move back to Kenya, move back to Nigeria, in order for them to be involved in fighting the corruption, fighting the messed up systems in Africa? Are there realistic opportunities? And is there some type of incentive for these um, returnees, these diasporans? Because I'm actually really curious. I, I feel like this is actually the heart of what I'm trying to get out of this episode. <laughs> That's really a sensitive one. <laughs> but, uh... I would say yes and no. Okay. Um, yes, if 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 you want to do anything that does not involve politics per se, you can succeed because opportunities do exist, and mainly because that, like we mentioned before, like we we pay too much um, um, respect to education or anything that is made from the West. So you just having that Western education already gives you, um, it gives you a better chance of getting a, of getting better opportunities um, in Africa, right? Mm-hmm. When it comes to when if you if you're looking to change, <laughs> if you're looking to have you know to change um, or if you're looking to fight corruption in that sense, then I would say no because the the country will be too harsh <laughs> very quickly, and you'll you'll soon pack up and go back to where you came from, yeah. and, you know, and vow never to come back again. So, so I guess my curiosity, and I hear what you're saying, I guess my curiosity is how can we collectively fight what's going on in Africa? Collectively, you know, people in Africa, people on the continent, you know, and people in, in the diaspora, how can we? Because I understand your concern, Joe. Um, fighting corruption is not one man thing. And sometimes, and realistically, you're not going to be the only one. You're not going to completely get rid of corruption in your country. It's just impossible. Even here in America, there's corruption. And America is supposed to be one of the elite. You know, you can't get rid of human behavior because it will still be. But should we all comfortably just fold our arms and have these same issues repeat every year? possibly even get worse like what can we do collectively what are you doing you as an african in your country what are you actively and realistically doing and what can somebody like myself who is in the diaspora who is actually genuinely passionate about helping africa doing something of course i'm not going to be i'm, I'm still taking care of myself um but I'm, and i'm not going to be the solution the savior that africa needs i mean i'm a nobody really but what can i do to actively support because at the end of the day those are my brothers those are my sisters what can we actively do without jeopardizing our safety jeopardizing our sanity but also making a difference in somebody else's life it could be through education through um information through financial support let me say this let me just make a very quick point um one um we africans fail because we're ignorant and we're not we're not well educated right 
So I would say first start investing in the motherland, you know, in by by Africa. If, if there's okay. any way you can support, you can support small businesses, anything you can do to invest back in the in the in the motherland to do that. Mm-hmm. You know, just buy stuff. Because it's that little that you that you buy or that little money you put in uh, um, in someone's co- pocket goes uh, goes such a long way, right? So it it that it it um if we if uh, African merchants and African business owners, small business owners, they get they get clients, they get money, it helps educate their kids, and that that already is a is an, is another generation that is more empowered than the generation that is there. So I would mm-hmm. say. First of all, invest in Africa. You don't need to buy a piece of land. You don't need to do something big, but just invest in Africa. The same way we are, you know, glorifying Gucci and Versace and Nikes and all that. Mm-hmm. Bring that money home. We need it. Yes. And we, okay. make, we make so many cool stuff. Just invest first. Invest in your country before you even think of making an, any other change. Invest in your country. Thank you. And you did mention something along the lines of um, not encouraging people returning back to the continent to join the government because they want to work. Um, don't you think that's actually the opposite? Because if they were to come back with their Western privilege and influence and education, um, financial security, wouldn't that have more? Wouldn't it? Wouldn't that give them more grounds to? actually actively participate and counteract the the system in Africa that the average African may not necessarily have the privilege to fight. Does that make sense? Like if I was to, not me personally, like say somebody who studied government or studied African policy in the States has some type of financial security back, back in and they wanted to move back to Africa and actually actively pursue government pursue politics and bring a lot of that realistic changes that needs to be done in Africa. Wouldn't you think that's actually a, a, a plus? Because they will be more enlightened, you know, than the current politicians. Not, not, not necessarily, unless you have grown in, you have been brought up in Africa, you've gone to school, like you know how the country works. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't think it's a plus because you will just get frustrated if you'll not get killed. It's that okay. like you, you you have no fighting chance, like okay. you, because when when you have very few people in power and it's the type of power that you know if just they you know with a snap of a finger you're gone. Mm-hmm. Even that education that you have does it wouldn't you know it wouldn't help you in any way, right? So okay. I. I don't. I really don't think it's a plus, in that sense. I, I. I don't think it. I don't think it is. How about somebody that was also brought up in Africa, has African influence, you know, African education, African mentality, African understanding, but then they also have Western exposure. So best of both worlds, if you want to put it like that. So yes, yeah. they study about Western government, Western policies and politics, and they bring it back to Africa, and they know exactly, or at least they're open-minded enough to know where to tweak. Like this works in the UK perhaps, but it, it will not necessarily work in Kenya the exact same way. So I'm gonna tweak this to fit the actual narrative in Africa, in my country. Would that, how about that? Is that, is that more realistic? Yes, I, I would say that's, yeah, I would say that's more realistic because you can, you can communicate and you can relate to people in the grassroots. 
Mm-hmm. And that's the, that's the most important thing because you're not going to tell people in the rural areas that your government is corrupt when you can't even speak their language. Mm-hmm. So and and so, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, so you you yeah, if you if you if you have both if you if you have both and you know you understand how the systems work and how your country works and either you think that there's something you can bring to these people and they can benefit from it, I'd say yes. Then they you have yeah, they there is a plus there. Mm-hmm. So there's a there's an encouragement for diasporans who have best of both worlds, exposure of both to come back with their influence. Yes, yes. Okay. And 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 I, I would, I would, I would, lastly, I would say this. I would, yeah, I would encourage that more diasporans, even if they haven't, they haven't grown up in, you know, in Africa, and they want to help. Um, don't just come and try and understand and try and relate before you bring up solutions to things that you don't even have an idea of how they how they operate. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. So, because you cannot, you cannot give me solutions to for my headache when I'm having a, a stomach ache. Yeah. Right. So you have yeah, to yeah, yeah. What is the root of the of the problem, and how these people, how and why they are the way they are, for you to mm-hmm. even offer solutions to them. Okay. Thank yeah. you very much, Joe. I appreciate it. Wisdom, you had something to add to that. I'm going to start from uh, the reacting from the previous uh, previous question you asked. Mm-hmm. You talked about uh, white supremacy, the government feeling that the whites do it better than us. You understand? I I actually agree with you. It's a problem with the it's a problem with the the governments. They they feel they feel the whites know better than we do, which is actually very wrong. There are practical examples. The trend we just bought from China some weeks ago dumped people at the castena on the road. It got spoiled. Trend that is not up, even up to a year. Got spoiled on the road in the middle of the night and dropped people. Trend we got from China. The Brazilian man, my former uh, governor, Richard Socorrocha, brought to build bridges for us at Oweri. Those bridges are so spoiled now. You can't even use those bridges now. But they, 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 they believe that the white people will do it better, but they didn't. Then fighting the government, how we can contribute in uh, making changes, Africans in Africans and Africans in the diaspora, how we can make changes is difficult. It's particularly difficult to fight the government while in Africa. Typical example is the NSAS protest that just happened. Some of those NSAS protesters are still uh, are still in police detention. Some people's accounts are still frozen, see now, because they tried fighting the government, changing the narrative. Then for Africans in the diaspora, Africans in the diaspora, just like you are doing, Adeola is doing, Reno Omokiri is doing, calling the government out, pointing out the bad things the governments are doing, calling people's attention to the mismanagement of funds and all the rest of them, is a very good step, is a very good contribution. It will go a long way in helping 
in helping change things in the country because they actually have ears. They are humans. They have ears. They, they hear. And it, it puts pressure. It pressures them to do the right thing. I think that's a step. Then uh, for Africans in diasporas, in diaspora coming back to Africa to hold leadership position, I actually enjoyed what Joe was saying. Joe's perspective. She said that they, they, they need to come home first, understand the problem of the people so that they will know how to contribute. I feel and I agree that if Africans in diaspora come back to hold leadership experience, leadership positions with the experiences they've acquired abroad, they'll be able to do better than the homegrown politicians will have. What do you think that do you think is because there's more pressure for those homegrown ones to basically do the same thing that the former people did? Sorry, I didn't easier. get the point. I didn't get it. So do you think it's much easier for them to conform to basically the same thing that the former people did? Like the homegrown politicians, do you think it's easier um, for them to conform to what the former leaderships did as opposed to the the um, Africans and diaspora coming back? Yes, in my own view, I feel the Africans in diaspora, they've already gotten basic, the basic, uh, uh, the basic, uh, uh, what do I call it, exposure they need. Most of our leaders here are hungry. They are hungry, they, they want to fill their pocket first. They've not, been, they've, they've not gotten to that position. That, that's, that's probably the highest position they've attained in life. So they see it as, a, as an opportunity. Most of them have not even traveled abroad. They see it as an opportunity to amass as much wealth as they can. But when they are bringing in someone that has traveled, studied abroad, has companies and houses abroad, I feel when they come back here, they won't be thinking of their pockets. They will think less of building mansions and all the rest of them and think more on working uh, to make uh, the country better. That's, that's my own view. Yeah. Thank you. I do have a general question that anyone can ask. Go ahead. Yeah, I actually wanted to give an example. Like in Abia, like in Abia states, the current governor of the Abia state now, he's from, he's, he's from, he's from he, he, hasn't, he hasn't attained that position before. He's just a lecturer. And someone picked him up, a godfather picked him up, picked him up and placed him in that position. And see how the state is. He has seen he, he's seen world for the first time, seen world for the first time, and he's trying the much as he can to amass as much wealth as he can before he will leave the position. Mm. Yeah, which is affecting the people negatively. Yeah, which is basically the order of the day because that's what everybody seems to be doing when they get to those positions. And I feel like a diaspora, and when that, yeah, well, somebody who has involvement and understanding of the continent, but also has exposure and uh, education um, and a diaspora is more likely going to not, less likely to conform to that. So I, I, I do understand that. Thank you, yeah. thank you very much. I do want to have, ask like a quick general yeah. question. That anyone can answer this, please. Um, I understand that for the average African living on the continent, you know, things are very limited your actions are limited, very limited and there's there's harsher reprimand if you were to speak out or try to do something against the government what can the 
realistically, what can an African, an average African living on a continent, what can that person do to continue surviving, to continue changing things for the better without just easily conforming? Like what can be done for an average African living in your country? And any one of you guys can answer that. Like, does this person blindly just go to school knowing that the education system is not going to work, the job market is not going to be rewarding, um, there's no opportunities or realistic opportunities for the average person in your country, but, but um, you're still doing it anyway. What can you do to offset that on your, on your own, on an individual level? Um, I would say one, have better healthcare systems. We are dying young and we are dry, dying in, 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 we're dying in huge numbers. And it's mostly because of, we're dying because of things that are, diseases that are treatable. Mm-hmm or circumstances or injuries that can be treated. So one have better healthcare systems. When you have a healthy, when you have a healthy nation, then it's, it's easier to fight uh, all these things that come your way and have a better education system. So work on your health, your individual yeah. health as a person? Yes. Okay. No, no, or, or you, or you say for me as a person or for- yeah, yeah. I- I'm just saying, like, you know, like the average African in your area, what can they do to try to upset and try to fight as much as possible, you know, realistically without getting themselves in trouble, getting themselves in trouble? What can they do on their own, in their own little corner? Just provide their children with better education if they can. If they can afford it, make sure that your kids go to good schools, like just invest in their education. Okay, education that will be rewarding. That's more likely to be rewarding as opposed to yeah, not. Yeah, 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 that is more okay. likely to be. Yes, yes. Okay, anybody else wants to chip in? Um, if I understand your question, you're like, yeah, what do you do to keep pushing and see, like, uh, the environment doesn't favor you protesting and all that, or holding the yeah. accountable? Yeah, I, I think, Ben, I think uh, when you, sorry. When you understand the system very well, you, you, you just need support. You just need to be very rich to be able to, 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 to raise a movement that can actually sustain you while fighting the government. Let, let me give you an instance. The, the, the government has the secret service. The government has the police. The government has the army. The government has various forces around. Like when you come out individually, even online, you come out and protest against the government. I have we, we, we have experiences. We have people who actually came out to speak up against the government online that were picked up in Nigeria alone. And then that's why people, most people don't come out to, to actually criticize the government directly. You see, that's why people prefer to stay anonymous and say, okay, yes, I want to criticize the government. And then I still want to live a normal life. So when you come out to say you're trying to hold the government, government accountable, you're trying to criticize the government. They frustrate you. You're being, you're kind of, you're kind of being trapped. And then the government has the power to either arrest you, and then nobody hears from you for a long time, and then you get threats about, about um, either giving up or continuing. We have the case of this, uh, the Sahara reporter guy, the show that has always been back and forth. And let me give you an instance. You, you know, the, the, the thing is, this guy actually makes money, even though he's criticizing, he's criticizing the government. So even if he's in prison, he's online. Uh, platform for for news and all that gives him money so the average nigerian like maybe i wake up one morning and decide to come out and hold the government accountable and then i'm frustrated to a corner i'm boxed to a corner 
I'm, I'm being arrested. I, 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 might not, I, might, I might not have anything else to fall back to. And then I'm locked up in, in a place. And I have a family I'm supposed to fend for. Maybe I'm trying to fight for a better Nigeria because of these people. This is going to be very, extremely very difficult for me. And then that's why I also uh, bring it back to uh, support from diaspora. Like I mentioned earlier on, the belief that the NSAS protest would have gone as long as it went through was because of the support from these guys out mostly these guys outside. I know, yes, we individuals from Nigeria also, we had our own finances and resources and all that. But the ability for gov- the government had to block accounts. Yeah. But still, but still, you still saw foreign currencies entering to support this movement. And that's why at some point, the government, you know, we were actually winning the fight. At some point, they felt like the government was actually uh, being held responsible for what, they were, for what they were doing up until some point where everything just went back to like it went from 100 to zero at some point. But then, when it was around 90, the government actually felt it. Like, even when you're blocking the account of this guy, people they were getting support from elsewhere, every dangerous in diaspora. So that's why I don't really want to push out totally the, the financial support from this other guy. So my point, Ben, is uh, I just think it's very difficult for an individual to stand up and say you're challenging. Please, I want to quickly add, like when you say you want to come, like you want the uh, Nigerian diaspora, the African diaspora to come back home and then get involved in politics. There's something we call in Nigeria grassroots politics. And that's what has been working here. You have, that's why I mentioned sentiment and tribe. You don't just wake up one morning like you are in, you're in America, you decided to come back to Abia State and decide to contest for a governorship position. You wouldn't have, um, no matter the experience you have, that's, that's the reality, let's face it fact. And then I, maybe I feel maybe anybody that has different opinions can also challenge you. You won't have the support of the average guy that has been here, no matter, even if he's, even if he's 80 years, even if he's 80 years, even if he's 100 years old, as long as he has been here and he has amassed this small kind of support from the grassroots. Mm, that's true, so deep, Yeah, and he's so deep read in this electoral, he knows the system already, so he knows how to manipulate the system to favor him in election. Ben, I'm telling you that when you get back here, with your wealth of experience, with your PhDs, in, in whatever field you have, you would not win an election in Nigeria. We'll have cases here. We'll have references here. So when you when someone someone tells you, okay, one Nigerian just has to come back, understand the system, and then contest election, you won't win. That's how the system That's is designed. You won't win. That's, That's the reality. True. Let's let's be let's be honest with ourselves. You won't win. Yeah. So I feel what they should do is, if they are ready, actually ready to come back home, it, it, it takes time to build. Supporters, loyal supporters. It takes time, mm-hmm. so you don't just expect them to come back and then you're looking at them to contest for election. In fact, people will tell you that there's another issue you have in our place. Like when you, when when a kid starts uh, uh, disturbing or, or or coming out to, to challenge uh, certain positions, they will tell him where his father was. His father was buried. They will tell you you were not even born in Nigeria or you've not spent time in Nigeria. So how do you understand the system? My friend, go and say they frustrate you. They box you to the corner. This is the reality of Nigeria. This is the reality of Africa. And then when people are, sh- are shying away from coming out, like saying it the way pure, 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 the way it is, it doesn't make sense. That's how I look at it. So the point is, if they want to support and they want to come back and do politics, let them come back and build stuff from the grassroots. That's what works here. And build this mm-hmm. certain, uh, up until we, we leave that, that sentimental, tribalistic part of politics. I don't think anybody can just come in and win. Yeah. 
Thank you very much, Ben. I appreciate it. No problem. Thank you for chipping in. So I, I, I suppose that um, one way of looking at it is basically challenging the average Africans to be more open-minded and receptive to diasporans who want to help. You know, try to engage more with people in the diaspora. Try to try to exactly. Yeah, bridge that gap because at the end of the day, the diaspora would have a louder voice and louder platform and louder opportunities that you may not necessarily have. So bridge that gap, have that rapport, have that relationship to extend as much as possible because Africa, we can we need all the help we can get right now. And when those diasporans come back to Africa to try to implement things, actually support them, like actively support them. And unfortunately, I've I've had a lot of instances where um people will move back to Africa or just visit Africa and they will be taken advantage of. You know, unfortunately, that's happened to me before. When I, I went back to Nigeria, and a lot of people automatically assume that because I'm coming from America, I must be swimming in dollars. You know, people are trying to take take advantage of me, have me buy this, buy that. You know, things like that. As opposed to actually supporting me, supporting my passion, supporting my vision. If a person like me actually had the intentions to move back to Africa, move back to Nigeria some someday. I would lose that incentive. I would lose the motivation to move back to Africa because I feel like I don't have the support system because people are not there looking. They're, they're more so looking at what they can gain from me as opposed to how they can support me, support them. So to be more open-minded and you know, supporting diaspora, I suppose that, that, that would make sense, right, Sam? Yes, Ben, that's, that's um, exactly the position right now. Like you just mentioned your experience, like you come into Nigeria, like every, you, you see, that's the point. Like, the, the and, and try to keep it as concise as possible too, because yeah, um, yeah, I ben, yeah, that's just yeah. that's just it. Like you, you might be ripped off. Like you might get committees of okay, we're we're in support, we're supporting you, Ben, take yeah. lead, and not at the end of the day, you have rebels behind you. Like it doesn't work out that way. You still see this particular set of people supporting this old set of leaders that have been doing them very bad. And even you, with your world of experience and knowledge, you from diaspora, you're back and you're trying to change the system. They don't want it. It's almost like they don't want it. You have a few people that want this sort of stuff. So that's just the point. That's just it. Okay. Thank you very much. There's there's so much to talk about Africa. There's so much beauty in Africa. There's so much also wrong with Africa. And I feel like if we keep talking about this, we will not end today. You know, there's just there's just too many different factors at the end of the day, you know. But I do appreciate you guys though for joining in. I do appreciate every single one of you. I know Lucky is gone because he has something to do. Um but I do appreciate every single one of you. But I, I, And I do want to ask a really last question. For people like myself or people who are actually completely oblivious of anything in Africa, would you, are there resources that you, were, you would recommend for people to seek out to study about Africa, African history, Pan-Africanism, African education, African lifestyle, that may actually, be, like resources that would give realistic perspective of the African plight? Um, I I really don't know if there are maybe just <laughs> maybe um, from um, such as this uh, maybe try listening to podcasts that you know that I know there are a few podcasts that um, talk about um, certain uh, issues um, concerning Africa, including politics. Um, written, I really don't I really don't know. And also, I think the best experience is just for you to come down and <laughs> experience it for yourself. Yeah, that's the best yeah. way to. And I think, <laughs> and I also feel like if you come down and you collect data and you write it down and you create that source of information, then mm -hmm. 
you would tell it in in a way that people like you would understand. So I would say come yeah. down and you know, yeah, experience it, experience it first then. Yeah, I, I agree. Thank you very much for chipping in. Okay, I agree with you. I agree with you, Ben. Just like you started some some years ago, visiting Africa, visiting Africa, visiting different countries in Africa will help you a lot to know more about Africa and talk more about Africa. Then I will also recommend that you listen to clips from a Professor Patrick. I got to know about Professor Patrick Lumumba when I went to Ghana. So he he's so passionate about Africa. He talks about African African culture, problems of Africa, and how to make Africa work. So you look out for by Professor Patrick Lumumba. I think he's from Kenya. All right. So basically, um, seek out resources, podcasts. Um let the internet basically be your best guide and also challenging people to firsthand experience to immerse themselves in the culture being there physically get on a plane interact with the people but do your research before going so you know what to realistically expect that's what i'm getting from you guys right yeah yeah and also engage um, in for engage in forums where you can get um and get in forums with people that are actually from africa if you can't come down here have discussions with people who are here and hear it from them if you can't find any um, sources of information. Yeah, I agree very well. But don't just 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 take whatever you see on the internet. I first-hand experience is one, and then two uh, articles written by Africans either staying in Africa or who are who are born in Africa or out outside Nigeria and all that or outside Africa. Don't just take whatever you see there. This is this is Africa. That's not really what what's out there. Africa is different from what you see or what you read online. So, so don't just go and read whatever stuff you see written by by whoever person that hasn't been to Africa before and then start mm -hmm. there. Mm. Be selective, yeah. I do yeah. agree. Yeah. And, and like and like I said, um there's so much to talk about Africa. You know, there's so much good, there's so much wrong that we can talk all day. But I don't want this episode to go too long. Um, so we're going to stop here and hopefully in the future, I would like to discuss this more in depth, especially to some of these topics, you know, like say African spirituality, opportunities in Africa, education in Africa, even immigration in Africa. But I do want to stop here though for now, for today. And I appreciate every single one of you guys um, taking your time to join this discussion. Joe, thank you for joining all the way from Kenya, Sam and Wisdom, thank you for joining all the way from Nigeria and Lucky. Um, he's from South Africa, but he just literally got back to America a few days ago and he's actually still jet lagged and he was still kind enough to join in spite of his schedule. So I do appreciate every single one of you guys. And if you're up for it, I would like to continue this some other time to talk about some of these um, topics more in depth. Hopefully next time it will not be more broad. It will be it will not be broad, it will be more simple, more so specific to a topic in Africa. But thank you very much, guys, for joining. I really do appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much, uh, Ben. Africa is very beautiful. Africa, we're very happy people, we're resilient, we're strong people. That's all. Just come down, experience the life down here. Thank you so much, Ben. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Ben, for the opportunity. I actually enjoyed myself, though I was having, having technical issues. And uh, I want to recommend next time, let's get more people from different different countries in Africa so that to add more flavor to our discussion. 
and so yeah, that people would, wouldn't criticize you just the way they criticize the Beyonce for yeah. for doing a, an album about Africa and just featuring people from West Africa. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you so much for this. And you know, um, it's really high time people stop thinking that when you land in an African airport, you'll meet uh, lions and, you know, <laughs> Maasai's or traditional dancers at the airport dancing for you. No, it, it doesn't happen yeah. like, it doesn't happen like that. And we do have internet, by the way. We do not <laughs> communicate using smoke signals. <laughs> Thank you, Joanne. That, that, that's right, guys. Thank you. Thank you. We're not bush people, you know. We're not. No, no, and, and there's uh, and some parts of Africa that I've been to are actually much better than some parts of America that I've been to. And I, I know a lot of people in Africa may not necessarily agree with that or believe it, but it's actually very true that I've been to certain parts in Africa, of Africa, even in Nigeria. They're significantly much better than certain parts in America, even in big cities. But it's true. But um, again, thank you guys so much for this wonderful opportunity. I really do appreciate it. And um, I'm going to be signing up now. Until next time, okay? All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. Good night. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. This is the end of today's episode. If you enjoyed our discussion, please make sure to thumbs up, like, share your thoughts and opinions down below. Please also share with your friends and family. Feel free to email me at letstalkwithuche at gmail.com. Please also follow me on Facebook and Instagram at Let's Talk with Uche. My website is www.letstalkaboutus.org. Please don't forget to subscribe, download, and hit that bell notification. So anytime I upload a video, you'll be the very first to be notified. Thank you very much. Until next time.